Welcome to Say That, the podcast where your big questions get real answers. My name is Matt King. I'm your host here in the city of Chicago. Joining me here is Glenn Fitzgerald, the founder of Mission USA. I had to endure an insult or two before we hit record on this one. Were they deserved? Uh, yes, definitely. definitely. Also joining us is the director of Mission USA Productions, Jed Brewer. Greetings! Joining us all the way from Rutgers, Tennessee, one of the pastors of Christ Community Church, Lee Younger. Guys, I neglected to say on the last podcast that I thought our uh, brick and mortar say that merchandise building should have those uh dolls where you pull the string but it's all of the jed impressions it's like oh a jed. wow then oh, you yeah. pull the string and then the different jed impressions happen in sequential order <laughs> i mean it's a fine idea and not to go back to a previous business opportunity which you know the legal department's working on now i think we're gonna sell about five or six different jed character dolls that's sure. right you want to give the people one yeah that's right that's right you do that's you do the palpatine jet and a bunch of palpatine quotes when you yeah, pull the yeah, string. yeah, yeah. yeah that's it that's you, you aren't this is not buy one get them all here kids well yeah you need plus, the whole set you know what you need is like uh it works like a magic eight ball type of deal where you wow. ask like bible numerology jed what oh. should i do <laughs> sure and sure. then pull the string and then he gives you a thing you See, know? i was thinking it'd be more like a beanie babies thing and there would be some that we artificially make scarce Okay. Oh, it yeah. would go to all the stores well, to try yeah. Cambridge Jed's very rare. Absolutely. <laughs> but I heard they got one over in Shelbyville. Yeah. We yeah, got to get over there before someone snags us. Yeah, co- collect a, a full set. Love it. I think I think you're trying to give me the Malibu Stacy treatment. Absolutely. And I like it. She's got a new hat. <laughs> well, Lee, uh, not I think it's a fine idea to go back to a, a previous conversation, yeah. but I think there's another ministry idea we've had today. Oh, and I think it's sparked yeah. by you. So explain to the people. About the I, ministry bus, I have to, I have to, to declare a very, uh, I am against it emergency. Wait, an oh. emergency? Is everything okay? An emergency, I, an emergency of size. I don't want to declare the emergency. I'm fatigued by the fact that I have to talk about this. Wow, I'm, I'm exhausted. I'm frustrated. I'm a little pissed. Okay, if we, oh, that's not too colorful language for the people. Uh, Such so, salty talk. We prefer to I'm keep it safe for the ears in the back seat. Here's what I'm saying to you. Uh, uh, <laughs> literally, we we have a neighbor in my neighborhood, uh, <laughs> just right across the street and right to the right of my house. If you're standing in my driveway, all of a sudden, like a school bus showed up in there, and they're like off street parking, okay. like a school, like an old school school bus, and okay. uh, the the ones that. When they were in their original paint color, we used to call them yellow dogs. Right. Yeah. On. Yeah. That's what that's what you call those. And uh, but this was not in its original paint color. It's obviously kind of one from the eighties, kind of the old school bus. This thing had been painted gray and black, and it had all kinds of weird stuff painted all over it. On the very front of the bus was like a fist holding a microphone. Uh oh. And then and I was just like, what is going on with this old? bus and the hood was open the guy was trying to fix it obviously i was like this dude has scored this old bus and and he's so psyched about it and then i was driving home and i I saw the side of the bus one day and it said mercy me on it Uh uh-oh okay the plot well thins in this case (laughs) for those playing at home that's the name of a of like a pop christian band from like the early 2000s i think Uh uh-huh okay being that short is short for popular, it's now only a Christian band. Ah! 
unnecessarily yeah. mean, but you laugh. That's that's <laughs> definitely home. the case. Well said, Mr. King. In any case, so I I said something to my wife about it. I was like, "Hey, did you notice that there's like an old yellow dog that's been painted gray and black in our uh, neighborhood?" And it we says, live, Mercy. apparently live next to the world's biggest Mercy Me fans. We need to move. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it says Mercy Me on the side of it, and and Chris was like, "Oh yeah, I talked to the guy about it. That's the apparently." The actual bus that appeared in the movie, I can only imagine. <laughs> For real? No! Yeah. So I was that, like, I was like, hold on, time out. There was a bus in that movie? And she was like, I don't know. That's the thing that threw me. Ostensibly, <laughs> this is a, we talked about this on the show, a Christian movie someone made about the guy writing the song, I can only imagine. So it's like, they just is just footage of a guy writing? I assumed it was okay. just a guy like, one five seven four? No, no, no. This is like you know twenty minutes of that. A lot of court but maybe changes. I guess like a, there's. A, I'm sure it's a nice story. I think it was like some this family tragedy. Like his dad got sick or something, so okay. he wrote the song, which is okay. all, all lovely, you know. An artist got it. Still not sure where the bus fits in. Right. Not sure Who's why we need say? a bus that is painted with the name of this band. Is that like a whole scene in the movie, like them graffitiing the bus up? This is the thing. I didn't know that. My wife, who relayed this information to me, she didn't know that because, let's be clear, we have not, nor will we, watch this movie. Right. So well, now, what's what's happening right now, Lee? Is there are people who have seen this movie not listening to this show? Well, th- that's <laughs> what I'm saying. Is like there's a small number of them seen this movie and they were like Clockwork Orange style forced to watch it. And, they, and they're like freaking out because like they know what's up is like a connection that's happening. And then and they they're thinking I'm going to email these guys and tell them all about it. Here's the thing, you should not do that. Yes, no. yeah. Peter K. Lawson at missionusa.com. Just, if you want to email us about your nursing me <laughs> trivia, you just. Although King, you raised something amazing, which Please. is you mentioned Clockwork Orange. Yes, yeah. and now obviously a movie I have I know I haven't seen. I haven't I'm sure seen no one else it has either. officially. Stanley Kubrick, of course, has shuffled off this moral coil. He's, yes. no, he's no longer with well, us. Well, that's what he wants you to think. That's what he wants you to think. But here's what I'm saying is <laughs> a pure flicks movie directed by Stanley Kubrick. Oh, wow. I mean, I would watch wow. a Kubrick Christian film. Right. And I think it's worth considering what other great directors should be in the pure flicks canon. Wow. Oh, this is, wow. this is I mean, fertile ground. John Carpenter presents Bible stories. I right. would watch any I'll of those. I'll tell you this. I'll watch a Terry Gilliam treatment of the book of Joshua yeah. any day of the week. Oh, dang. Yeah. You ain't lying, dude. For real. It won't come out just, for some 40 years or so. But it'll Just right. a freaky 12 monkey style. Just, yeah. uh, just really, really weird. I think the thing we need to figure out, obviously, we want Michael Bay up in this. Yeah. I mean, that goes without <laughs> sure. saying. Yeah. The question is, what's the right Bible story for Michael Bay to present to really oh. bring all his Michael Bay ness to it? Well, I think it's got to be Elijah and the Prophets of Baal, right? So we need the most explosions you can have. Yeah, because that's a pretty short story. It would literally be like 15 minutes of the thing happening. And then the last hour and 15 minutes would just be all explosions. Literally fire from heaven. Yeah. 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 I mean, you you could do. Uh, although, Moses. although in. In the book of Ezekiel, you have the wheels inside of the wheels and the yeah, whole thing. Yeah. That feels like a very Michael Bay. Yeah. I mean, if he, if he did like uh, Moses in Egypt, you just got a lot of CGI frogs. That's not... Uh, 
Well, sure. doesn't feel like the right use of that gentleman's talents. Yeah. That's more of a Guillermo del Toro movie, I think. Yeah, definitely. Oh, there you I go. would see his version <laughs> of, of the 12 plagues. Yes. <laughs> I would watch just, that. Just kind of just kind of Alfonso Cuaron Ooh. does you know the book of revelation or something. Well yeah. done, yeah, sir. Yeah. Well sir. done. Well, you know who who is is actually Christian. He's not famous for it, but he just talks about it for is Kevin Smith. Yeah, that's true. Like Grace Catholic, okay, and then yeah. Dogma, oh, yeah, which yeah. is another movie I haven't seen. Of course, that has you know, a fair amount of Christian right. stuff in it. So I, I just like, I like a really just, maybe The Road, uh, you know, uh, Ananias and Sapphira. Yeah. I like a very kind of, only, it's only one shot. <laughs> right. And it's just you know, two or three style. characters being, yeah, it's like, you know, it's the three, it's uh, <laughs> Peter, James, and John, right. when they can't stay asleep, like in the garden. It's just one right. set. It's in black and white. <laughs> it's incredibly sweary. Okay. Now, I don't want to take us, uh, you know what I mean? Uh, you take us wherever we need to go, bro. Okay, thank you. Because he was going that, to anyway. Way. Here's what I'm saying. What <laughs> happened to Mercy Me? Right. Do we know? Because we've got their bus. Have they, <laughs> Literally. Been, have they been seen anywhere? Literally, it's sitting. I mean, it's 20 feet from my driveway. In this Oak Ridge, bus one Oak Ridge, is right Tennessee. there. Yeah. Do- Okay, Lee's neighbor says he bought this bus. Do we believe that story? That's what I'm trying to come at. Well, is, is, here's is your movie. the singer of Mercy yeah. Me just wandering around on I-40 looking for I his think bus? this neighbor capered the Mercy Me bus. Yeah, <laughs> I think these dudes are in his basement right yeah. now. Yeah. Okay? Do we <laughs> okay. have proof of not that? We need Liam Neeson so to come about- fix this thing. <laughs> Definitely. So you're talking about whoever the poor person who ever directed the Saw movies, right? Might be making this particular Christian movie about <laughs> the prop from a Christian movie. It's getting right. very meta. Yeah. Okay, here's what it is. You know, if you if you are you know once popular, right? Then not so much, right? Popular right? enough to get a movie. So I mean, it's something. Okay. Well, here's what you do to take it up a notch. Hit me. You get yourself kidnapped. Ooh. You're saying, Whoa. Uh, as we sit in the city of Chicago, and the thing with the dude from Empire who like faked his own getting mugged, right? You're Jussie saying mercy. Smollett. You're saying mercy me may just be hanging out in the basement, you know, playing video games and yeah. you know, snacking on some corn dogs. Yeah, but the press release is going to come out. Oh my well, gosh, they're missing. That's what I'm saying. Is first of all, you, you find yourself, uh, you know, a psycho, okay, a weirdo, sure. A dude that's got issues. Sure. That's, Bless him. Sure. Bless his heart. We can do that. There's a lot of candidates. Yeah. yeah. yeah I, I, I don't know if you're up on the, the kids online, but you don't get to use the old defensive words and then just add bless their heart. <laughs> oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> so you I can't, you can't do that a, anymore. Okay. You got, we, got, we all have to learn holy words. That's you got, okay. You got, you got a people with uh, struggles. You get an eccentric issues. person. Eccentric. Oh, it's a very good word. Thank you. you. They're all online. Now, yes, yes they are. Okay, so you go on there, you find one, and say, "I hope no one kidnaps us and takes our bus." Glenn, this seems like a very high risk way to fake a kidnapping. Well, goading an actual lunatic (laughs) into kidnapping. Let let me ask this: If you post that particular post, do you go ahead and add the bit about how you want to make sure there's enough Totino's pizza rolls to make it through the the ordeal? Yeah. You're saying a writer for your own fake kidnap. That's oh, right. That's right. <laughs> I, I hope that we aren't kidnapped, but if ever that were to happen. 
I hope there would be sufficient Tostino's yeah. pizza rolls to get us through this crazy. You got to yeah. sign our kidnap rider. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Because yeah. if we, if you can't get a hundred brown M and M's in this brandy glass, how do you know you're going to pay attention to the other details that are more important to this kidnapping? <laughs> That's exactly right. Well you know. put. You know, so let's keep I, it civilized. Have we seen these dudes? I don't. We certainly haven't. So well, I haven't. We hadn't seen, seen them, seen them at the height of their popularity, though. So. I don't even know who they are. <laughs> but. Uh, they could be, uh, you know, they could be in trouble. Well, let me take this a step further. Yeah, and really, uh, you know, an almost Kubrickian twist. Hit me. And this is actually be this would be the movie Jordan Peele would direct about this whole situation. Okay. Oh. If you trotted out five other white guys to play, I can only imagine. Could anyone that an audience prove they weren't the original Mercy <laughs> Me? I think, uh, yeah, they maybe they got maybe they gained a little weight. And who are you sure. to judge? Well, the yeah. stage is a little back. You know, there's lights. Yeah, it's a f- wait, 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 before I just Jordan Peele joke. Mercy us. Go ahead. There go you back, go. go. There it is. Here's what here's what happens. They get themselves kidnapped in a in a self. Uh, you know what I mean? Like sure. you put you manufactured it. Right. It's sure, like it's a real re- Munchausen by proxy situation. It's like a reverse catfish. Wow. I think I don't think Jordan. it is okay. So here's what happens: is it's a revert catfish. You're pretending to be who you actually are. <laughs> here's what Aren't it we is. all Matthew. I, if we find out about <laughs> their plot directs. to get themselves kidnapped, right? Ah, right. but we rescue. If we rescue them, right. Then the movie's about us. Oh, Whoa. Whoa. plot twist! Hello. You're welcome. Yeah. So you know we did it. We did it. There and the go. title of that movie would almost certainly be Emergency Off. Clearly. Played. Indeed. Um, uh, if you are a Mercy Me fan or a member of Mercy Me or a member of Mercy Me's legal team, I uh, just want to point <laughs> out that because um, sometimes we record these episodes ahead of time. God forbid a member of Mercy Me does go missing in the next 14 days where it comes out. Just jokes, folks. Just, just cracking wise. Just, uh, you know, we, we talk about robot cyborgs, so don't take this part of the show seriously. Yeah, no. Can't disclaimer that enough. Just everybody relax. We're happy for the van people. We're happy for the continued, to us, somewhat baffling success of Mercy Me. Hope they tour very publicly. Wherever they are now. Not helping. That's what <laughs> someone who had them in the basement would say. Uh, so, you know, uh, we, we, we wish them continued health and many public documentable appearances our thoughts and prayers are with nope, them. no 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 you realize i now have to set a google alert for all the individual members of mercy me between now and when this show comes out right my hey folks if there's a real short emergency this week We'll have some behind-the-scenes footage as to why. There's a bus outside. Well, anyway, bridge box. That's right. Now, we don't have to kidnap anybody to make them make bridge box. We have uh, contributors from around Chicago, around our ministry. We have uh, often have folks from the bridge who uh, contribute uh, musical talents, poems, whatnot. And they do it just because they want to. No, we don't have to kidnap them at all. Not that we've ever kidnapped anybody for any Ministry related Not at reason. all. As, as far that, as you know. Wow, that got less sincere sounding. <laughs> by it's no lo- it's no wonder we can't keep an attorney on retainer around here. Michigan.com slash bridgebox. He had songs, sermons, Bible studies, all sorts of things made from the heart and made most importantly of the free will yes. of the people that are making them. Are most <laughs> of the individual pieces made in basements? Yes, but nice basements that people are choosing to be in and can leave whenever they want is the main thing. <laughs> it's not like a dungeon. 
Again, a little bit out of left field. MissionUSA.com slash Bridgebox. We're in the month of April here. We're here to talk about uh, how do you know if, you make it, if you're making a difference? So we know that the folks who listen to the show are out there doing great stuff in the world. It can be a little frustrating sometimes to know if you're, ha- to uh, feel like you may not be having an impact. Everyone on this show who contributes to Bridgebox knows what that's like. So you got sermons from Glenn and myself, songs from Jed, Lee, some other great friends of ours, Bible says all sorts of great stuff. MissionUSA.com slash Bridgebox. All right, we jump to our first question here. Hang us all the way to the end. I use some ways to get in touch with this. You can also scroll down into the episode description and find those addresses. Our first question comes in anonymously, and it says, I'm frustrated lately by the overwhelming differences between denominations and interpretations. Occasionally, I'll happen upon a theologian who insists we've gotten it all wrong, and even when I disagree with him, that puts my own interpretation on shakier ground. How do we sort out the inconsequential stuff like Paul telling us not to quarrel from other things that affect how we view God. What are the basic certainties we should remind ourselves of in those moments? And it is a fantastic question. And Lee, where would we start off? Yeah, I think the the first thing I would say is beware theologians. Um, yeah, it's a yeah. You know the you know that book uh, where the, where they talk about you know uh, where they give you a little page on on how to kind of you know survive weird situations. You know when when this per- the question asker says occasionally I run into a theo- theologian, man don't like don't run into theologians. That's like one thing I would say. Like there those debates, those those courses, lectures, those books they write, all that kind of stuff. Here's the thing about that stuff: seminary courses, whatever. None of those things can actually make you any better at forgiving someone who sins against you, for instance. Uh, meeting someone's needs, who's in need, um, praying for a struggling friend, etc. There's a there's an amazing moment on Jesus's last night with his guys, where he says this. This is in John chapter thirteen. He says, "By this, everyone will know you are my disciples if you love one another." This is a huge moment that Jesus basically says, "I'm going to put." Um, I'm going to give the right to decide who is my follower to the outsider. They get to decide. They're the ones who get to decide who's who's mine and who's not. It's it's not it's not us. It's not the inside crew. We're going to let the outsiders decide that you are mine or you are not. And here's the one criterion that they get to decide that by whether or not you love one another. Here's the thing about everything that makes somebody a theologian. None of the things that make someone a quote-unquote theologian, none of those arguments, none of those debates, none of those things can measure any of the right things. The only thing they can do is take things that are in the scriptures and turn them into an academic pursuit. But the problem is that our religion is not an academic pursuit. There's some really cool, interesting stuff that's fun to read about and fun to think about and fun to research, especially if you are of a certain type of personality. You just, if you're that kind of student personality, you love learning new stuff, that stuff can could be so appealing and so cool. But the second that we start arguing about it, we bottom out the number one thing Jesus said on his last night with his guys. It's funny because when Jesus said, that they will know you're my disciples by this, if you love one another. That was in the context of a meal that he was sharing with his friends, where he literally uh, dressed like a slave and washed their feet. And then when he was done with that, he said, I have set you an example that you should do exactly what I've done for you. Now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. 
I, I would love to see this. I, I don't think it's going to happen, but I would love to see it. I would love to see a, a, a list of every single specific thing that Jesus said, do this. Like, if you're going to be my follower, do this thing. I'd love to see that list. And then on the other side of the piece of paper, I'd love to see the number one things that theologians argue about. And I'd love to see where that Venn diagram crosses over in any way. I'm guaranteeing you it doesn't cross over in any way, ever. Say that. At all. Here's what that means. That if I simply follow Jesus in the things that he says to do, actively, to do, just follow the things that Jesus is asking me to do or telling me to do, I'm never going to run into any of these arguments or debates or anything at all. Yeah. And, and that's the thing about this. Some of this theological stuff is appealing. Some of this learning is appealing, and I get that. And, and I'm on your side in that. I, I think some of these books are cool. Some of, this, some, of this, some of this thought, some of this thinking, I get all that. But what I'm saying is we are called to follow Jesus just to follow in his steps. He wanted us to, to reach out to people. He wanted us to care about people other people didn't care about. He wanted us to, to give money to poor people. He wanted us to feed people who were hungry. He wanted us to clothe people who were naked, to house people who were homeless. He wanted us to take care of people. And all of these debates never run into... If you were to look at those two lists, the things Jesus says to do and the things that people argue about in religion, you wouldn't even know that we were talking about the same thing in any way that somehow both of these are Christian. You wouldn't know that in any way. And so what I'm saying is, follow Jesus, and then let's just be generous about our differences. Let's start there. It's a fantastic place to start, indeed. And Jed, it certainly is uh, one of those things where um, there's a lot of, and it's very important, it's great stuff, Lee, God, I'm not going to talk about it uh, more as we go on. There's a lot of stuff that is happening that it's important to figure out how you're not going to get dragged down and not engage in. But I think in any case like this, it's also important to look at what are some things we can uh, focus on in a positive sense, not positive necessarily in rah-rah, but just a doing this as opposed to not doing that. Do we have maybe some of those we can start out with? It's a great question. I think here's a useful exercise, and, and it's the same exercise, but I'm going to explain it two different ways because it, you know, it just might click with you one way or another. Suppose that you had a nephew or a niece who was four and a half years old and they, and they said, what's, what's all this God stuff about? And you had to break it down for them. And you, you couldn't use big, fancy words because they don't know any of them. And, you know, if you start to use sentences that are too long, they're going to just, they're not going to be able to pay attention. So you really got to make it immediate and vibrant. You got to cut to the chase. Exact same exercise. Suppose you had a friend who was completely irreligious, didn't really believe in anything, never really been to church. And one day your friend just said, so what's your deal with all the, I mean, what's this God thing actually about? And I'm, I'm not saying convert me. I'm saying, what, why are you on this? What, what is this for you? The exercise is, think about what you would say in that moment. It turns out this is not an idle exercise. The Bible literally tells us to be ready to do that. It, it says in yeah. Scripture, always be ready to give the reason for the hope that you have. And that's what that means, is always be ready to explain to people who are outside of the faith why you're on what you're on, what your deal is. And I think the first thing that we want to say, going right along with what Lee is saying, is theologians don't know how to do that. Um, they are not trying to break down to people outside the faith why they're on what they're on. Um, 
And the vast majority of Christians would not know how to do that. If someone walked up to them, whether it was a, a small child or an irreligious friend, and said, what's your deal? The vast majority of Christians would not know how to do that. So if you're in that camp, it's all right. We all we start where we're at. But, but here's how I would proceed. Because again, the idea of being ready to give that explanation, that's a scriptural thing. That's actually something scripture tells us to do. So we do want to be ready to do that. And in my life, I'll tell you what works for me, and I hope it's useful for you. The best example in scripture is a man who was blind, and Jesus healed him. And then there were a bunch of really religious people and theological types who wanted all kinds of explanations and who did what and how did this happen and what did we in the thing in the third quarter and blah, blah, blah. And dude just says, look, all I know is I was blind and now I see. Amen. That's what happened. And in my life, that's actually, if you want to know what my deal is, that's my deal. So um, my particular story, actually, addiction hasn't been a part of it, but I find the way that addiction recovery explains this stuff to be really similar to my experience, which is I came to a point where me being in charge of my life was not working. My life had become unmanageable. It was not working. I encountered a higher power. I encountered something greater than myself that was able to bring me back to a place of sanity in my life. And then I made an active decision to turn my life over to that higher power. That's, yeah. that's what I did. That's a slightly longer way of saying it, but it's the same as I was blind and now I see. It's the exact same thing. I was a mess and I encountered a, a being bigger and more powerful than myself that did something about that and yeah. made me different. And now here's the critical part is I'm now trying to pay that forward in other people's lives. I'm now trying to figure out how do I pass on the help that I've received and how do I, how do I do that in an effective way? How do I, how do I find people that, that could use that? Here's the funny thing about that. I've never met anyone who can't A, understand that and B, who can't respect that. It makes perfect sense. That doesn't mean that the person I'm explaining it to wants today to be on that. That's a completely different thing. But anybody can understand that idea of, I was blind, now I see, and I'm trying to pay that forward. I'm trying to figure out how to pass that along to other people. A small child can understand that, an irreligious friend can understand that, and anybody can respect that because it, it is a respectable thing. And that really brings us to the other thing that uh, Lee is already pointing out, and it comes up again and again and again in the New Testament, is the importance of having the respect of outsiders. It's weird how often yeah. Paul references that and how churches never mention that. Come on, dude. When Paul is talking, for example, about the qualifications for leadership, one of the things that comes up again and again and again is must have a good reputation with outsiders. In other words, must be respected by people who are not Christian, who do not go to church. Well, there's a lot of that in the church today, though, right? No. Yeah. Like when you think they're of all triggered of... by how the, how much they respect us. <laughs> When you think about all the amazing movements of God that have been enacted for non-believers to really see how much we care. <laughs> so here's the thing. If you want to follow Scripture and be able to give a reason for the hope that you have, if you want to have a good reputation for outsiders, uh, a good reputation with outsiders, which again comes up a lot, to me that boils down to being able to explain things simply in non-theological terms, in a way that other people can grasp and respect, even if they're not 
trying to take that same journey today. That's yeah. what that looks like for me. And I think that you can do that in your own life as well. Absolutely agree. I think that's all a really, really sharp stuff and a great addendum to what to where Lee started us off. And Glenn, let me get you to close this out because uh, Lee started us off with some very good advice, which is beware theologians. Yeah. yeah. Um, if you're just, you know, somebody who's trying to figure out your walk with the Lord, trying to figure out what that looks for you in your life, I don't understand why you would want to read theology. Yeah. It doesn't really seem to do much for me, but as, as, as Lee said, there's uh, some of it's just interesting and, mm. There's some people who are theologians who write about you, Augustine or whatever, whatever the stuff. And I understand that, but I wonder if uh, theologians and theology as an idea has has such an outsized presence yeah. in Christian culture, particularly American Christian culture, which yeah. we, we can speak about most because that's where we live. Um, and it seems like it's a pale imitation for something yeah, because it's not working. So what's the something? Well, I think uh, essentially... I think it has to do with the way that you perceive Christianity. If you think of Christianity as a belief system, the people who construct or define that belief system would reign supreme over it. So those people would be the people you want to study and admire and you know, like I I'm going to I'm going to follow this guy instead of following that guy. That's comes up actually in the Bible. Uh, the idea of what what teacher we're going to follow. And Are they make... positive about it? No. no oh no. Hey, um, I don't know if you guys know. I follow Apollo. Yeah, that's Creed. Uh... Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. I, do, I do like Carl Weathers. <laughs> that's that's he's a... very charismatic. Yeah, that's yeah, that's nothing. So it, so if it's a belief system, then that would make sense that you would follow the person who defines that belief system the best or what have you. If you think of it as a philosophy, the person who has the deepest philosophical thoughts about it would be the best. If you think of it this as a religion that you practice, then someone who tells you what sort of practices and rites and rituals to go through that are the best and the appropriate and whatever within a denominational structure or what have you, then that would make sense. Except for Christianity is not any of those things at all. <laughs> so, therefore, it doesn't make any sense to the people on this show why theologians would have that kind of an, of importance. It just doesn't. The, the guy who wrote the owner's manual for your car isn't some form of literary genius because he's not describing something with complexity or depth or insight. It's just... This is where you go to check the tire pressure and so on and so forth. So I think uh, what these fellows are trying to tell you, and, and I definitely want to build on this, is the idea that Christianity is not something you learn about, and then based on that superior knowledge that you have, you go out and do and live out, and uh, the living out of it is an outgrowth of your knowledge. That's not what, That's not how this works. It is, in fact, the reverse process. My Bible says to me, forgive your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Now, here's what you need to know about that. That's basically impossible. If you're the kind of person who say, okay, I can do that, I don't think you understood what you read there. Nope. I don't think you're being honest with yourself or with me, (laughs) and you can go away and take that act somewhere else, okay? Love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you, is an inch away from a psychotic idea. Now, if I try to live that out 
here's what I'm going to do. First of all, I'm going to go to God and say, I can't do that. And God is going to say to me, it was good for me to forgive you when you didn't deserve it. Therefore, it is good for you to forgive other people when they don't deserve it. And I say, well, now there is a logic in that, but uh, how am I supposed to do that? God will come to me and say, you don't have mercy. That's a quality that is not native to human beings. I have mercy. I give you mercy. You give them the mercy that I give you. You run out very quickly because they're going to keep on being jerks. And then you come to me for more (laughs) mercy and I give you more mercy and then you exercise it. And that's the relationship we're having here. Okay, so based on that, here's what I can tell you theologically. Theologically, I forgive because I was forgiven. Theologically, God has mercy. I don't. I go to God and I get that mercy. Theologically, I can tell you that um, that forgiving other people sets me free from carrying around the burdens and the weights of that. I can give you a number of deep theological insights on that, but that's based on me living it out. And also, I'm not talking about it's based on obedience. It was based on me being disobedient in this and working out how to get to a place of obedience. It was, it was, it was experiencing disobedience and experiencing a, a, a lack of willingness to do this and then discovering something about it that allowed it to somehow become doable that I then gained a theological insight. Why am I telling you all that? Here's the thing is if you aren't living it out, you're just studying it, you don't know squat about Christianity, period, the end. If you're living it out first and then giving me your insights based on that, I want to hear what you have to say. Now, you're probably not going to put that in sort of a theological framework. You're probably going to lay out the experience of living that out. So it's going to come from an entirely different place than sort of a dry theology. Uh, but what we have are people who are just pure thinkers that come up with systems and organizi- organizational frameworks, and they want to present that to you as a pure abstract concept that they want you to buy into so you can be a really great Christian. That's just not how that works. Indeed, it is not. Um, I think all these guys gave you a really, really great stuff, and I tell you, a couple couple of small things on the end here that I think speak to a little bit of what, what you're saying in the question and what these guys have laid down for you. Another, an important thing to be wary of when we're talking about Christian stuff to me, and I've come, come kind of learned to be thinking more about this for the last few years is um, I've never heard a good sermon that was clever. Yeah. I've yeah. heard a lot of sermons that were clever. None that actually worked. Right. As I thought about that, I was I've never read anything helpful that was clever. And um, theology, kind of by its nature, pop theology, by the way, we're going to talk about, I want to differentiate, you know, what you would see on, you know, a gospel coalition desiring God. And I think that is bad, but that's different than, you know, a systematic theology kind of drive. We're talking about, uh, when I imagine when most people think theologian, they're thinking the Christian celebrities, you might think that is all rooted in cleverness. Yeah. It's all, haha, you think it's this way, and but it's this way. Or, you know, we went to... Uh, not to give any specifics, but there was one that we uh, all passed around amongst each other because I want you to imagine this, dear listener, this offended 
the three of us up here in Chicago. <laughs> like, not as a bit, not as a joke. Yeah. We were offended. Yeah. I didn't even know that was possible anymore. Yeah, that someone wrote yeah. this thing. And somebody had written in a question about a family member or something they were going through. And one of these geniuses, who you've definitely heard of, I'm going to name check him, said, well, the Bible doesn't actually say anything about that. But it mentions this other thing that's kind of like that. And it doesn't really say it's bad, but... If you go to the King James version, yeah. <laughs> not the Greek, not the Hebrew, the King James version, it says that this other thing is unseemly. Yeah. And I think the thing you mentioned is unseemly. So basically your dad's going to hell was right. where it dropped. That is about trying to be clever. That's I yeah. did the reading and I found this one little nugget that I can now extrapolate out in all these amazing ways. Christianity is not clever. Right. That's it goes back to Jed thing. You can explain it to a child. Jesus says, come like a little child. Children are not clever. This is That's not right. about taking a thing and like really figuring it all out, man. And coming up with this systematic thing as Glenn was saying, the other thing you can, if you're wondering, am I looking at or reading something that is, I should just be able to dismiss out of hand is, can you boil someone's central point down? This goes back to release artists with, Hey, 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 you don't want to accidentally love people too much. <laughs> <laughs> Right. You don't accidentally love this group of people over here right. just because you think with your hippy dippy, just reading the words in the Bible that it says it's okay to love them. Right. Let's get that crap right out of the way. This is why you are someone who loves Jesus and are allowed to be super mean to this group of people. <laughs> Hello. There's a lot of theologizing your way from this book says everyone is a sinner. Exactly the same. We all need the same amount right. of mercy. There's a lot of theology, theological writing that points to, but aren't they a really the bad sinner? And you're actually doing pretty good. Yeah. So again, th- there are these things who, if you if you strip away a little bit of a layer, I say all that, A, because my head was going to explode if I didn't say those things out loud, but also because if you strip away and say, what's the point of this? Because there's plenty of, the- we, all, we have all read theology, it's, and it can be very useful. If someone says, the point is, you know, this thing that happened in this parable had a very specific cultural understanding of this in first century Palestine. And here's why he said it this way, not that way. And we can break that down. Go back. We go back to the original languages all the time. That's a point is to say there's, there's a layer of meaning we might be missing out on. If the point is, aren't I the person saying this very, very smart. And we can just move right on to another website. And believe me, you'll be a lot happier for it. All right, move on to our next question here. It comes into our inbox and it says, I'm trying to live this godly life, but it seems like all I have are rules I have to obey. And then I think about how much God wants me to obey. Am I the only one who's frustrated at all this obeying? And Jed, where would we kick off here? This is a great question. So I think it's worth using a little bit of precision because I think it's going to help us. Um, The first is, I think you are equating complying and obeying. Those are two different things. Uh, you you comply with rules, and and the thing about complying is your heart doesn't have to be in it, your attitude doesn't have to be in it. You know, you, the the rule says drive less than sixty miles an hour, and you choose to comply with that rule or not. Uh, if you don't comply with it, sooner or later you're going to get called on it. And similarly, the rule says uh, you know you got to wear your seatbelt or we'll pull you over, and you choose to comply with that. If you don't, and they pull you over, the the uh, officer doesn't care like where your heart was at. Like, but in my heart, I felt like I was safe. You didn't comply. There's, there's a thing and you, and you didn't do it. 
So, and if you're wondering, are you, you know, does it seem like there's an awful lot of complying being requested of me? There is. And I, and I know that can be frustrating. Um, you know, most of the time your life's actually going to go better if you do comply. I say it as a person who hates complying. I, I mean, I de- and I'm wrong. I want to be crystal clear on this. I, I have a rebellious streak a mile wide. My, my greatest joy in life is to find reasons not to comply with things. Yeah. What does the Department of Transportation know about how fast it's safe to drive? Nerds. <laughs> if you aren't looking for loopholes, I can't respect you. Absolutely. I hate complying. If you feel that way, I'm right there with you. What I've learned the hard way over a long period of time is, in general, complying will make your life better. So I mean, all weather tires. What does that even mean? <laughs> Jed learned when he spun out in his summer tires that it means a lot. I bought a car a couple of years ago that had, if you're not a car guy, it had tires that you should only use in warm weather. And I thought, I'm a big, strong man. I'm a good right. driver. I it's rubber. It, it's on the road. How different can it be? I should make it work. I did not make it work. You should, you should comply. Right. You should comply with the stated parameters of these tires. <laughs> All right. Because <laughs> your life will be better. You won't wreck your car. Right. Yeah. You'll be facing right. the correct way you want to drive. <laughs> it's which hard is really to steer preferable. a hockey puck, for example. <laughs> All right. So that's complying. Um, and your life will be better if you comply. So even though I don't want to, and I know you don't want to, you, you should. You should comply. You should use the right tires on your car. That's different than obeying. It's totally, totally different than obeying. And I I think there's two key reasons. The first is when we're talking about obeying, and and here we're talking about stuff with God, you know, God wants you to obey him. Actually, your heart and your attitude matter a whole lot. That's like super, super important. And because your heart and your attitude matter, we have to recognize that obedience is actually not really an action. It's a process. And we're either investing in the process of figuring out how to be obedient or we're not. And Lee and Glenn both in this episode have already alluded to that. Perfect example of this is forgiveness. God says, you got to forgive. And, you know, similar to complying, it's worth noting, your life's going to be so much better if you forgive people. I mean, seriously, like on every metric. Yeah. Yeah. Obviously, God wants you to do it as a part of your faith journey, but just like your life will just be massively better if you forgive people. It really, really will. But here's the thing. You can't just jump to forgiveness. There's no such thing as that. Um, if someone wrongs you, and I mean really wrongs you, and and because we live in a fallen world, I know you have someone who's done that, and I'm sorry. You can't just decide, well, I forgive them now, because that's not how forgiveness works. What you can decide is God calls me to forgiveness, and I want to get invested in that journey, and I want to move forward and towards that goal. But I recognize actually the next step for me on forgiveness might be being way more angry with this person than I currently am because I have to go from denial and repression and trying desperately not to think about this awful thing they did to me to fully looking at what they did to me so I can figure out what was wrong with it. It can actually feel like we're going backwards in order to go forwards. But if we don't follow the process, we can't get to the end result of forgiveness. And Jesus actually talked about this exact thing. He told a story. Um, we were looking at this topic in jail about a week ago, and we talked about this exact story where Jesus said there were two sons. And there was a father who was a wealthy farmer at a big vineyard. And the father went to both sons. He said, I have a task I want you to do. I want you to go work in the vineyard because there's a lot of work to do and get her done. And son one was super churchy and said, yes, for it is a blessing for me so to do. And it is right with the providence of the thing. And they didn't do anything. And you had a great attitude, though. An amazing attitude. It's such a heart. Real yeah. can-do spirit. Yeah. 
The Let's sec- put him on the elder board. Yeah. The second son, who I totally relate to, the father says, hey, if you could go work in the vineyard, I'd really appreciate it. said, no. Right. I'm not feeling that. that. Hey, you know what? Let me break it down for you. Vineyards suck. Right. <laughs> work sucks. It's hot right. out there. Yeah. It's hot. Uh, I don't grapes. want to. Right. It's dirty. Right. I'm, you know what? Hard pass. Yeah. What's I'm, the upside? Grapes yeah. grow out of the ground. That's gross. <laughs> <laughs> But now something, if we paused the story there we'd, we'd, with just the immediate reactions, we'd say, son one, crushing it. He's yeah. Christian in it. Good. <laughs> yeah. Son two, hey, he needs some work. Yeah. All right. But that's not where the story ends. He needs to be more committed. Exactly right. Exactly. We, need to, we have a sit down with him. Okay. Son one, he said he'd do it, and then he didn't. Son two, though, Jesus says something amazing. He says, son two, he said, ah, I'm not feeling it. But later he thought better of it. And he went and he did the thing his father asked him to do. And of course, Jesus asked his listeners the same question that I asked our friends at jail, which is the question I'm now asking you, which is, who actually obeyed? And of course, you know the answer is the second son is the one who actually obeyed. The question that I have for you is, are you willing to give yourself the opportunity to think better of things? Are you willing to give yourself that grace to say, this is a process? And step one in obeying is often having a terrible attitude and saying, no, I hate this and I don't feel like it. In other words, if God is calling you to forgive someone, for a lot of us, this is certainly true in my life, step one sometimes is going to the Lord and saying, I don't want to do that. Yeah, I don't like this person and they're awful. And you may have noted the way they treated me, what with being omniscient and all, and it was awful. And it feels like an insult. You would even want me to forgive them. That's a start. We are now talking to God about the forgiveness that we need to do. If we stayed there forever, I mean, if we never progressed past that point, well, I guess you could make an argument we didn't really obey. That's not going to happen. Right. That's not how that works. If you start talking to the Lord about it, and you know, if you want to be maximum strength righteous, say, hey, I'm not claiming I'm right. I'm just saying this is how I feel about it. If you start sharing your heart with the Lord, you'll find your heart changing. Yeah. You will. Yeah. You really, really will. You're working through it. Absolutely right. And I think this is the key thing. God is not expecting you to be able to do these things without working through that process. Mm. That's part of the point of the story that Jesus is telling about the two sons. God knows it's a process. God knows it takes time. God knows it involves wrestling. God knows it involves coming to him and starting with a bad attitude and going from there. If God can have that perspective and that patience, I think you deserve to have that perspective and that patience with yourself. That's a really, really great place to start that off. And Leo, let me get you pick up there. I think uh, Jed did a fantastic job kind of drawing that line between compliance and obeying, which I think is very important. And it really gets yeah. to a lot of what's going on here. But let's look at, a, Jed gives word as we start this process towards obedience. Let's look at a little further down that road, because uh, believe it or not, listener, you're listening to four guys who have really started out with not obedience and are learning about how that goes. <laughs> what What is that attitude we're moving towards, um, towards, no one likes just following rules for rules sake, but you know, as yeah. Jed is saying, if you're giving people, you feel better. What are some of those tips and ideas we picked up along the way that might help someone who's starting? Yeah. I think that there's a, there's a perspective that changes the way all these things look. And the perspective has to do with the relationship that I'm in. So some of the things that w- when I first started, you know, quote unquote, following Jesus, a lot of the stuff that you're talking about, by the way, like I, I get exactly where you're coming from. I absolutely hated rules, hate any kind of rules. Don't tell me what to do. As soon as you tell me what to do, you are now my enemy. 
That's the way that I always felt like my whole my whole life. And the way I always felt too was, I can especially remember this in my teenage years, was if anybody has thought of a sin, tell me what it is and I'll test drive it for you. Just any, anything you think of, I would love to be the person to research that for you because that's I hated rules. And so I get that, man. I, I know the way that you feel on that. And the thing is, is that there's a there's a thing that shifts when you realize that the thing that God is asking me to do is not something that he has arbitrarily made up to put his foot down, but it's something that he has come up with because he knows what's best for me. And he knows where I'm going to find actual fulfillment. The way we talk about this in a ministry principle is realizing that things that I thought were have-tos are actually get-tos. Things that I've always looked at as, this is something I have to do. Once I actually do that, I realize, oh my gosh, that is a that is something I get to do. This is amazing. Um, I can remember the very first time that uh, we, we brought uh, kids from like our high school group up to serve at the bridge in, in Chicago. And I remember one of the things that we had that we do, because we brought them up a day early, was we were going to do some gardening at, at Brother Glenn's house. And these were kids that if their mom and dad asked them to do weed pulling and stuff like that, they would pitch fits, they would pull faces, they would be so frustrated and so angry, and and yet, we had, you know, a little music bumping and stuff like that, and we're pulling weeds and stuff like that, and these kids thanked us for the greatest week that we had ever given them in the history of their life. Something that they thought was a have-to had suddenly become a get-to, and that is such a huge thing. When I realized that I, I thought something was arbitrary, uh, and, and you were just showing your authority. And, and we need to say that the reason we assume that God is going to treat us this way is because a lot of authority figures in, us, in our lives have treated us this way. I mean, I know, I know that Brother Matt knows what I'm talking about, where the, uh, where the football coach makes you do some stupid thing just because he wants to, to show that he has power over your life. Yeah, his home life's probably great. Yeah, this is this is the thing is that we have all had authority figures in our lives who have just put their foot down and come up with random stuff because they wanted to show that they were in control. And so we assume that God's stuff is that same thing. But what we find out is that in the context of relationships, things that we thought were get-tos become things that that are or things that we thought were have-tos become things that we realize are get-tos. So, uh, you know, at a certain point, you know, the idea of like you know, when you're out there on your own, you're freewheeling and whatever. It's like the idea that like, I, I will flirt with whoever I want to. I will date whoever I want to. That's the way I'm going to do this thing. And then you get in a relationship with somebody that you love and you want to create a life with. And then you get married and you realize, I'm not even interested in flirting. I'm not even interested in dating. I'm not going to do that. You don't even have to make the rule because I want something deeper. I want intimacy with this woman that I'm married to. And so now the relationship that I'm in with my wife creates a context where, I mean, you could say it's a rule if you want to, but Christy and I don't date other people and we don't flirt with other people. We don't do that stuff. That, that's, not part, that's, that, that's not part of our life experience. You could say that those are rules. I guess they technically are, but in the context of the relationship that, that we're in, we're after something deeper. 
And so those things that, that you might say are, are rules are really just the way we want to live. This is the way that we want to do this. This is for our best. When we realize that the love of God is always after our best, our protection, our, our fulfillment, then we realize that the things that we thought were have-tos become get-tos. My, my little son, whenever we want to cross the street, he has to hold my hand. And that's because I'm keeping him safe. Um, it, he could look at that as a rule if he wants to, but in the context of our relationship, that's not, that's not some overbearing thing where I'm putting my foot down. That's me showing him love. And I, so I think that in the context of the relationship that we have with God, we start to realize the, the longer we walk with him, the things that we first saw as just rules we realize are his way of bringing us more fulfillment, more life, more intimacy, more goodness, more kindness, more just just more abundance. Uh, the things that we thought were have tos turn out to be the things that are get tos. A really, really sharp point there, and I think that really does add to what we're saying here about this idea of obedience. And I'd love to get to close this out because I think Lee started us down a very important path that it was probably good to end on, which is the idea of. Um, Yes, as we've we've mentioned for a lot of reasons, obedience to God is good. Um, <clears throat> we talked about a very similar topic at the bridge recently, and there are uh, uh, a lot of things that the people who come to the bridge go through where uh, obedience is a positive thing in their life. Right, like the that's how they get to live inside. <laughs> it's obeying the rules at this uh, yeah. center. That's how they get a paycheck is obeying what the boss tells them. So, and some of that applies to, as we're saying here, the case for obeying God. God, you know, wants mm-hmm. you to have a good life and knows how things work. So it just, on some level, it makes sense to obey him. But making sense, I feel like, may not be the best place to start with Definitely. This. So what, Definitely. what's the missing ingredient there? Well, it, th- this is the thing. All these other fellows on this show have described themselves as disobedient. I want you to know I am so far past these guys <laughs> They are the ones that tell me I have to be more obedient. So just just to give you an example, we'll 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 clean this story up, but Oh thank God. Jed Jed and I are on the West Coast. We're going to visit a buddy of ours who's who's a pastor. Uh we're driving the car and we gotta pull over and get some gas. And uh, you know, you, you, we also need to relieve ourselves and so forth. Just by random happenstance, Lee may know this story. By random happenstance, we happen to be going to a gas station that's across the street from an extremely well-known megachurch that we didn't realize that it was there. Now, this megachurch, we're, we're, there's an entrance, and it's way back on this very large piece of property that's super, super expensive. It's a campus. It's a campus. You know how you get... Can't just have a building like a chump. So so really all we're looking at <laughs> is a big, big sign with a fountain. A yep. water feature. Now you, you say, does the sign need a fountain? Nope. No it's sign. not a sign without a fountain. I'm pretty sure St. Paul said that. <laughs> Let me tell you what... <laughs> If you have a meeting with your architects and your architect comes in and says, well, you're going to want to sign, you say, yes, that makes sense. People got to find it off the road. Yeah. Then he says, you know what else you're going to want on that sign? A fountain. You say, hey, buddy, uh, why don't you do me a favor and shut the door on your way out? Because no. Right. These geniuses said fountain. 
Bobby, you did it. <laughs> You're an idea man, Joshua. You just rocked my world. Yes, give us a fountain for our sign. So Streams of life flowing. We're st- Got it. We are standing there looking at it, and I said to, to, to Jed, I think we ought to go relieve ourselves in the fountain. <laughs> Now, well, it's just saving water if you think about absolutely. it. Absolutely. And for the record, memory. Jed immediately and emphatically said, no, no. I imagine if what flashed in Jed's head was Chicago missionary uh, arrested for exposing himself in Southern California. Okay. Clearly. So it's a little hard to get approved to go into jail when you have that on your record. <laughs> That's on one side of the scale. Yep. On the other side of the scale, man, would I... I would smile every time I think about this church. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I've As lived... opposed to what you normally do. Exactly right. I've lived with the regret of that. Well, to your point, you wouldn't smile just because you peed in dude's fountain. Right. You smile because you weren't supposed to. That's right. So this is my love of disobedience, okay? But here's the thing. You say, now, how can a man like that follow God in any way and be obedient at all? Here's the thing. It's the love. Mm. That's the thing. I have to go to God, as, as Jed's saying, and express the frustrations and the angers and the doubts and the all of those things. The only thing that's going to allow me to do this is the love that I have for God. That's it. I can go to God and say, God, I this is crazy. This is insane. I don't know how I'm going to do this. I don't want to do this. But if you're asking me to do this, I'll do it. Because of that love. Love makes you do crazy things. Love makes you do it and say, you'll make sacrifices you'll never make. I'm doing it because God's asking me to do it, because that's the love that I have for God. Right. So, some preacher just preaching this, good luck, Jack. I don't know what that is. I'm going to go home and ask God if that's what he wants me to do. That's the only way this is going to get worked out. So rules without that love not only won't, it just won't work, but I don't know if that's righteousness either. You know, yeah. I think there's love first, then there's doing what love demands of you, and then that's what righteousness turns out to be. But the idea that I can follow these rules in a mechanical way, but not love God, and he's pleased with that, I don't, that doesn't make any sense to me at all. So I don't know why you would try that. And what's even worse is if you accomplished it, you would just get into some kind of uh, 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 inflated ego, pride, you know, look at me, I'm great at following rules, unlike you, who sucks. That's a terrible place to get to. I'm not, I'm not obedient. I don't want to do anything God tells me to do. I'm not inclined to be godly in any way whatsoever. All I know is God's been there for me. He's forgiven me. He's, he's lifted me up. He's blessed me in ways I can't even describe to you. If he's asking, I'm doing it. That's it. I'm. Uh, it may be a lot of work to get to the place where I actually do it, but I'm going to. I'm going to land on doing it because of that love. I, I believe if you read scripture carefully enough, you'll read that exact thing. It comes up. <laughs> yeah. The, the, if you if you love me, you'll end up obeying me. I believe that's mm. printed in that Bible. So I think uh, let's let's focus on the love element of that not just the the thin slice of obedience out of that. I think that's a really, really smart point. It actually ties in a lot of what we're talking about in that first question, this idea of there is a a way that kind of Christian culture is put out for this is kind of how you 
should do this. And it just happens to look a lot like school and other jobs and pretty much everything in the world that isn't Christianity. So you just kind of graph that right on top of there. And uh, that's, that's the opposite of what the actual word holiness means. It's supposed to be a whole different situation here. And these guys gave you a lot of good stuff on how to start wrapping your mind around that. We're going to move on to our final question here. It came in anonymously and it says, I find that I'm trying to represent Jesus in the world. I feel like that means all my screw-ups reflect on Jesus and I beat myself up for not being perfect. What can I do to deal with such feelings? And Glenn, where would you start us off on this? Well, I think uh, the last question Jed said, uh, we want to understand the difference between compliance and obedience. And sometimes these the the difference in the verbiage we use can make a, a big difference in the way we understand these things. And uh, I think when we get overly simplistic in our language, we lump a bunch of ideas together that don't belong together, and we get a lot of confusion going. This is a similar thing. Perfection is our target. It's not our goal. Those are different things. So if I if I read the Bible, it says... Uh, he who puts his hand to the plow and looks behind him is not fit for the kingdom of God. So what does that mean? If you're plowing, a, you, you got to plow a straight line to make the most of your field, right? So that means I pick a target on the horizon, it's a tree or something like that, and I plow right towards the tree, I'm going to plow a straight line. It's a simple concept. Uh, the Bible says we we fix our eyes on Jesus. He's the author and perfecter of our faith. So it's the idea that I... I have this target that I'm steering towards. There's no way for a human being like me to be perfect on this side of the grave. That's never going to happen. That's my target. I'm, 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 that's the direction I'm headed in. Uh, compass points north. That's where I'm trying to get north. I steer myself that direction. You can navigate by the North Star without needing to physically get to the North Star. That's right. You know, this is, uh, we, we, we recognize we will never uh, fully attain that perfection, but we're, we're pursuing this. That's our target. My goal for today is to be less of a screw-up than yesterday. Okay. And I can do that. You can do that. You can look at your life and say, I'm, I'm doing better today than I was yesterday. At whatever this thing. Here's a habit I don't want to be doing. Um, uh, you, you know, if you're saying, uh, you know, all my screw-ups reflect on Jesus, I, yeah. Well, your screw-ups do reflect on Jesus in that he loves screw-ups. So there you go. <laughs> that's actually the reputation he wants. So that's not bad yet. Uh, I beat up on myself for not being perfect. Uh, that's anti-biblical. God's not in favor of that. That's your sin. If you want to know where your sin is, that would be it. You say, well, I was guilty, and then you made me feel guilty about being guilty. Isn't that meta-guilt? Yes, it is, and suck it. <laughs> that is not a way for you to live. This is not about looking at any imperfection and saying, well, I can't live with that, because that's uh, crazy pants. This is, not, uh, this is not Christianity. This is low self-esteem. We have to understand, if perfection is not available to us this side of the grave, if we can't live a perfectly perfect existence, then it is about looking at incremental progress towards that goal. Turns out, the Bible uses this exact language. As we've pointed out previously on, on the podcast, there are two words in Greek 
that we translate in a w- one word perfect in in English, right? So English, uh, the English word perfect has two different definitions. One is without blemish and without any kind of uh, imperfection to it. That's that's something that's perfect. The other definition of perfect is something that's whole and complete. It's been made perfect. It's gone through a process of being perfected until it has reached a a, a stage of being perfect. Those two definitions of the English word uh, uh, for perfect are two different words in Greek altogether. So you can know which definition we're going by. When you read about be perfect even as God is perfect, it's not the without blemish one. It's the go through the stages of growth and improvement to get there one. Mm -hmm. When Jesus says, I He's hanging on the cross, and he says, it is accomplished. It is finished, as other translations would say. It's using the same word for perfect that's translated elsewhere. He's saying, this has been brought to a place where it is done in its wholeness and its totality. Uh, this is, uh, the, the, uh, the, the Greek word we're talking about is teleos, and, and you think of a telescope where you... you you, it's like you pull it, and there's little stages of it, and you know it, it segments uh, of it unfold. That's the image that he, we're trying to create here: is that you are growing through stages and steps and challenges in your life. That's the what God is calling you towards. He's not call, calling you to live a life that has no imperfection anywhere in it, because He knows you couldn't accomplish that. That is certainly true for the four of us. I'm uh, led to a belief by the Bible that's true for everyone, but uh, it's super true for me. And it's, as we were talking about something uh, a little bit earlier, it's kind of relaxing to embrace the reality of that. So, yeah. uh, Lee, I think Glenn gave us a very, very good solid footing to start off on this. So, But I think we can, we can certainly relate to our friend of the question saying, you know, I'm trying to do this thing. And as we kind of, as we alluded to earlier, theologically, I understand the reality of I'm not perfect, how that plays into all this. But then there's the individual. I wanted to do something good. And in this individual instance, I didn't pull it off or I screwed it up. And how do we go through work in the, the, the emotion of that situation? Yeah. I think for me, one of the biggest deals is, is just with the people that are in your life, be honest about where you are. Uh, be honest about your struggles. Be uh, show the humility of the the things that you're going through. You'll you'll hear us say all the time. I'm going to point the finger at myself here and say that I'm not. I haven't arrived at my goal of of where I want to be on this yet. the The funny thing is, is that you know everybody has a problem with hypocrites. You know, somebody who says one thing and then acts in another way. I mean, we all just you know. You know, we all just kind of reel back at that kind of thing. That is that is not cool. Everybody has a problem with with hypocrites, but nobody has a problem with somebody who says, "Oh, you're struggling, so am I. I'm struggling too." Um, nobody has a problem with somebody who puts out right there at the front. This is these are the ways that I'm having a hard time. These are the ways in which I'm struggling. And um, and if you're struggling in that, I understand you, and I'd love to. You know, maybe we can help each other learn. Um, I've been in so many conversations before, uh, most of the folks that listen to the show know that I work with high school kids and middle school kids and, and college kids, young people, 
a lot of them who are just getting started on their journey with Jesus on this Jesus stuff and and so you know we'll we'll be talking in conversations and and they'll have a thing of they're like you know well I you know you probably can't understand this but but I you know I really have a problem with uh you know with anger or with jealousy or with blah 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 you know whatever they'll they'll name something and I'm like yeah, I know exactly what that feels like. It feels like this. It feels like that. It feels like the other thing. I start describing the feelings, and they're like, "Dude, it feels like you're reading my mail. Do you really know what that feels like? Do you really experience that stuff?" Well, well, of course I I have, and of and of course I do. I'm I'm on a journey just like you are on a journey. I might be a little bit farther along, but that's not because I'm amazing. It's because I've been at this a little bit longer. That's the that's the only that's literally the only difference. I mean, you and I are going to help each other. Um, and there's a there's a comfort in that humility. I think realizing, you know, there's a thing of like, if I'm not perfect, then I'm not going to be representing Jesus well. Well, that's not really, as Glenn's saying, that's not really a thing. Jesus loves people who are not perfect. The, the funny thing is, is that if I'm honest about my imperfections, if I'm honest about my journey, if I'm humble about where I am and how I still struggle too, and, and maybe we can help each other, that actually gives a lot of that gives a lot of props to Jesus. That that's something that makes Jesus look good, because Jesus is taking these screw ups and he's growing us. He's turning us into something else. Um, this is something I really, really have always respected about folks who are involved in the twelve step program. Um, I, I I got a friend who's who's uh who's just deeply involved with twelve steps here in in our town. And he's and praise the Lord has been sober for like thirty six years. I think he just cross that little line or whatever. And every time he meets somebody that thanks him for sponsoring them, he always says, you know, running into you today, seeing you today is going to help me stay sober one more day. He, he comes in on that note of humility of like, I'm still working my recovery. I'm still working my steps and you're helping me as much as I've ever helped you. And that note of humility, man, that's, that's not the something that makes Jesus look bad. That's something that makes Jesus look awesome, that Jesus loves people like this, who are needy, who need each other to help each other hold each other up. I think, I think coming in on that note of humility is something that, that, that actually makes Jesus look really, really good. I absolutely agree. I think that's a very, very strong point. And Jed, uh, where do we close off with this? Again, just kind of looking at that emotional landscape of there's the, the reality that Glenn started us out on, which is nobody's perfect. It doesn't, Jesus doesn't want us to be perfect, but then there's that kind of, um, that reality of, it's still a hard pill to swallow that I know all of you aren't perfect and that's easy to believe. Then it comes that hard moment where I'm not perfect and that that's a little tough. Sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I think what's interesting is with your question, it sounds a bit like you're wondering how do I not basically be a bad witness to the world and also, how do I live with my own imperfections? Um, they're both great questions, but they're pretty different questions, though. Um, but I think one of the linkages is being clear both with yourself and with others. Dude, I'm a sinner. Full stop. Um, you know, uh, that's if you're looking to me expecting perfection, you will be disappointed because I do not have that to offer. Um, no one should reasonably expect that of you, but... Uh, you know, this is one of those moments where theology matters. The Bible says you're a sinner. Experience definitely says you're a sinner. Mm -hmm. Uh, so I think it's worth asking, why can't we be honest about that? 
I mean, why do we, you know, why do we have to fake off about that? Why do we have to pretend? That's not the same as saying that you need to do a massive weird overshare everywhere you go. But um, there's not, we have a, a preacher at the bridge who started a sermon recently stood up and said, I'm a cineholic and this is my meeting. Uh, there's, there's nothing to stop you from being clear yeah. with people. No, I'm, I'm a knucklehead. I'm, I'm a sinner. I'm a screw up. But I think this is the key thing that, that we really, really miss is, and this will help both with how you're, you're struggling with your view of yourself, but also, you know, the question of, am I being a, a good witness in the midst of all of my imperfections is we need to take the focus off of you. And the best way to do that is for you to focus on loving and serving people, uh, Find people who are hurting, find people who are doing without, find people who, as Jesus described, are the least of these, and do something to help. Um, Something practical is really good. Uh, Maybe helping hungry people have something to eat, lonely people have someone to talk to, um, people don't have a place to live, get some shelter. These are really, really good options. But focus on those things. And this is really good for a lot of reasons. First, to go back to our previous question, that's obeying. Because Jesus definitely said to do those things. So we've got some good obedience going, and that's great. Then to go back to our first question, when we're talking about our reputation with outsiders, that's what outsiders think Christians should be doing. Um, it's kind of funny. Yeah. We do a lot of non-Christians. Uh, Non-Christians don't think that Christians should totally have their noses clean at all times, because no one does. There's just no such thing as that. But non-Christians definitely think Christians should be helping the poor. Like, definitely, definitely. Heck Yeah. And if you're not doing that, you're not going to have a good reputation as a Christian with outsiders. It's just, that's just not going to happen. But I think the other thing in terms of your own internal reality is when you get invested in helping people who are going through a rough time, it gives you something better to be focused on than your own imperfections. Amen. I mean, you know, you hear a lot of talk in the church about being crushed under the weight of your iniquity. And here's the thing about that. That doesn't go anywhere, dude. Uh, (laughs) Your sins are really boring. They are not interesting. They're not fascinating. They're not noteworthy. You're a screw up. The same as me, the same as the rest of us. You know, it's not to say there's not stuff to look at there and understand how do we move forward, but it's not like an endless fount of just interesting stuff to contemplate. It's just, (laughs) you screw up, you do screwed up things. What do you you want? Helping people is interesting. Helping people has some legs to it. Helping people is worth talking about and getting into and thinking about. That's cool. Your sins are not cool. Helping people is cool. (laughs) So we need better things to do with our time and with our energy and with our attention and better things to think about and better things to talk about. It turns out if you'll focus on loving and serving people, it will give you way better things to do with your time and energy and attention. And it will give you a good reputation with outsiders. And you're doing that whole obedience thing, which is super cool. Amen. It's a good deal. Really, it's just, you know, it's the most bang for your Christian buck, really. Mm. It's helping poor people. Uh, all, the, all that stuff these guys uh, gave you is really, really fantastic stuff. And I, I would close out on this particular thing by saying, I think there's also something we need to look at. Of We talk a lot on the show about growing, about moving forward, which is important. It's also important to understand there's going to be a lot of screwing up in that process. So in some of these things, we do want to look at some some overall arc, some overall trajectory, kind of. We we would talk about pulling the lens back and looking at the at the kind of the long uh, view of a lot of these things. And exactly as Jed gave us there, if you're doing those practical things, if you're going out, if you're serving, if you're focusing on putting the focus on the people yourself, you're going to find that as much as you screw things up, we I you don't want to know what our batting average of things succeeding on the first try around here is. Yeah, it's pretty darn low. 
So these guys say a lot of this kind of comes down to a certain amount of hard-won humility of, uh, as, as kind of as Jed was saying, in a, in a macro level, on a micro level, I'm never surprised when I screw things up. Sometimes I do something right. That's a surprise. Wow. That's yeah. worth Exciting. noting. <laughs> you say, hey, and, and Glenn is a good example on this because he'll literally do this at a dinner table full of people and say, I don't think we focused enough on how I did that right. That's right. This is a newsworthy event That's as it is. Right. For myself, too, and embracing that is, is really going to help you get a long way in where you're going with this ride. If you have a question for us, say at podcast.gmail.com, thebridgechicago.tumblr.com. If you want to keep that anonymous, you can scroll down into your episode description and find both of those links. We're going to take out with a Jed Brewer classic worship song. Talked about a lot of the stuff we're talking about this show. This is called So Here I Am. Okay, with that, thanks for listening. Just yeah. remember, we love you. God loves you. There's nothing you can do about it. To say that podcast, we have a particular set of skills, skills we've developed over a number of years, and skills that allow us to rescue fake, kidnapped Christian pop bands. <laughs> if you were looking for accomplishment, then you know I wouldn't stand a chance. But you said you wanted failure, so here I am If you were looking for intelligence Then you know I wouldn't stand a chance But you said you wanted fools, so here I am But you said you wanted me, so here I am.